welcome to Adventures on the Road podcast, partnered by On the Road magazine. The August edition is out now. The sponsor for this episode is Thermal Cookware, and thanks to them, we have a shuttle chef to give away to one of you. Make sure you stay listening for details on how to enter later in this episode. Now let's get on the road with our first guest. Okay, so we're going to have a chat now to Hudson Fox, who's uh, up at Cobold Gorge, and we're going to find out just how unique and beautiful this place is. Morning, Hudson. How are you? I'm very well. And yourself? Yeah, good, thank you. Hudson, tell us roughly whereabouts is Cobold Gorge, for those who aren't familiar with the place. Okay, so Cobble Gorge is um, six hours from Cairns and six hours from Townsville. Uh, so it's just inland uh, in the in the Savannah country. Um, so yeah, we're just near a little town called Foresight, which is um, just next to Georgetown, for those of the people that know where Georgetown is. So what actually is Cobble Gorge? So Cobble Gorge is one of, one of Australia's uh, youngest uh, naturally formed gorges. The Terry family own the property that it's actually located on, so um, Howlong Station, uh, which used to be a part of Robin Hood Station. Yeah, that was uh, found oh, uh, back in about 1992, 1993, and um, we started doing tours in 1994. And from that point, the Cobble Gorge Village has grown substantially, so it started off as almost just a little shipping container where people would drive down and there'd be a, uh, a little radio there and they'd call up Simon and let him know that they were here for a tour and then he'd drive down from the station and take them down the gorge and um, now from you know that kind of one tour a day where there was no bookings and you'd just call up on the two-way, it's now grown to uh, operating uh, four to five tours a day and also doing helicopter flights and much more. Okay, so you can actually do a helicopter flight as well. You've got helicopters there. Yeah, so we've got a, a resident helicopter pilot. Um, she's from New Zealand. She's fantastic. We operate 15-minute uh, flights, 30-minute uh, flights, and we also do uh, a couple of charter flights as well. So we have uh, heli fishing. We do a sunset picnic, um, which is a 60-minute one. So there's a couple of different things. The helicopter seats up to three people. So yeah, the... 15 and 30 minute flights operate throughout the day and then obviously that um, sunset heli is that last helicopter flight you can get. Uh, we take you up to uh, the start of Agate Creek and we pull up on top of the sandstone, wine, cheese and you just watch the sunset um, from a great advantage point. Oh well that sounds sensational. Wine, yes. cheese and watching the sunset. What else do you need? Oh, you've, you've, you've won me already. The helicopter then flies you back to to the, the camping area, does it? Yep, comes uh, back to the village. So we've got a little helicopter pad, which is probably only 60 metres walk from reception. So yeah, that sunset heli is pretty phenomenal because you get you'd get that like uh, that 15 minute helicopter flight really uh, on each side, and then you get to pull up and you watch that sunset over this amazing landscape, and then you get to come back and watch those colours change and paint the sky, and come back and then yeah, come and have a bit of dinner and do all those sorts of things. Now, I believe that you also do a lot like a boat cruise through the gorge. Most definitely. One of the tours that we operate, so it's a three-hour gorge tour. It's broken into two elements. So you have a walking element and then the gorge cruise itself. So that walking element, you go into a bit of bush tucker and you go up onto the escarpment. So we talk about 
little bit of the history and we go into some of the native animals and, as I said, the native uh, bush tuckers that are available in this area. And then we pop into the gorge and we get into a little bit of history and geology. So how wide is the gorge? Um, the gorge, at its narrowest point, is probably oh, no bigger than oh, two metres. So we've got these uh, specially made boats that are electric, so we charge them uh, through the amazing power of the sun, so all solar powered, so it's nice and quiet. And we go down through the bends and the curves of the gorge, which is about 900 metres long. And right at the mouth of the gorge is probably its widest point, and you've probably got about oh, six or seven metres width there. But then when we get into that gorge, especially down the middle where it gets quite windy, you're, you're just scraping through with the boat in some spots. So it, it's a relatively young gorge um, compared to uh, what the rest of the world offers, and, and that's why we've actually got all those lovely shapes and curves through it. Okay, so the water that's in the gorge, about how deep is it? Okay, so at the deepest point uh, in the gorge, we're looking at 8 to 10 metres. It does vary, and, and then the height of the gorge as well while we're at it. Um, you're looking from the water line to the top of the gorge is about 20 metres high at its highest point. Now, the actual gorge itself, is what sort of, is it sandstone or, or what is it? Yeah, so it's a sandstone conglomerate gorge. This whole area, millions of years ago, used to be just a massive sandstone base, but there's only about 80 square kilometres left of the sandstone, and that starts on the edge of the Robinson River, which is uh, a natural fault line. So hundreds of thousands of millions of years ago, uh, the sandstone, which is still there today where the gorge is, um, actually sunk slightly because it was just next to that fault line. So it was protected by the rest of the sandstone around it. So over um, over the years, it's uh, been worn down and that little section that uh, dropped down was protected. So it's the only section that's left and the rest of it's just worn down to uh, the terrain and um, the cattle grazing country that we use and you can see on your heli flights today. Right. Now... This probably isn't something I would do because I've got bad balance. I'll admit that. You can do it, the gorge on a paddleboard as well, I believe. Most definitely. It's one of our, our, I guess, newer tours, and it's a great experience. We do have a lot of people that do the gorge tour and then do the stand-up paddleboard tour. I like to kind of explain it as the gorge tour, you're getting that wealth of knowledge that the guides carry with them. And then that stand-up paddleboard tour... You're on an hour and a half tour, so you're on the water for about an hour and you only have a maximum of six people plus the guide. So seven people, so it's lovely and quiet. And you're going down and it's just a completely different experience really from being on a boat with up to 14 people. You know, there's a bit of noise, a bit of chatter. And then you jump on one of those stand-up paddle boards and you're just immersing yourself in what we are and what, what the gorge is and what nature has to bring. There's an early one, so an 8 a.m. one, and then there's a 4.30 one. So... You know, that morning one, you're getting that lovely first bit of light come through the top of the gorge and it just paints down the edge of the gorge and uh, lights up all those curves and the colours of the sandstone. And then exactly the same uh, in the afternoon, but just on the opposite side. So for photographers, it's fantastic because you're getting that nice, nice. Um, it's not so harsh, the light, I guess is a good way to put it, but it's just phenomenal. And if, and if you don't have good balance, probably oh, nine, oh, well, one in... One in 10 people probably sit down on their paddleboard and kind of use it as a canoe. So, you know, if you, if you don't have good balance, by all means, you're, you're welcome to sit on the stand-up paddleboard. Would make no difference with me. 
would make no difference, Hudson. I'd end up, <laughs> I'd end up coming back looking like a drowned rat. <laughs> That's okay. There's a few people that that happens to as well. Okay. Um, I'm not alone then. No, no, you're not. We have a few people that go in the drink, but um, after people go in the drink, there is a point, depending on the pace that people are going on the, uh, the boards themselves, some of our guides actually just say, you know, uh, now we've, we've got about 15 minutes spare, so you can just have a lay back and everyone lays down on their paddleboard and they just continue to float through the gorge just while looking up through the sandstone, and that's a pretty magical moment as well. Oh, I can well imagine that would be because it would be so quiet. Is there much bird life in the area? Yeah, we've got a fair bit of bird life. Those natural species, or those native species, I should say, that you kind of get around here. So we've got the red-tailed cockatoos. You also have your wedge-tailed eagles. You've got your parrots and finches. Obviously, you've got kookaburras around. You see a lot of them at the dam in the early morning or late afternoon coming down and taking some of the insects and bugs off the um, lily pads and things like that. But yeah, no, there's a, there's a good amount of bird life that you can see while while staying with us. So this definitely sounds like a place to come and explore, enjoy and relax in. What sort of accommodation facilities do you have there? So we've got a fair few um, different styles. So we've got for the fixed accommodation in the way of rooms, we have uh, four different styles there. So we have boundary huts, which are standalone units. All rooms are semi-self-contained and en-suited. The second style of room, we have station suites. So they're, they're more so cater to the family market. So there are interconnecting doors. So you can have mum and dad on one side and then you can have up to uh, three kids on the other side. And then we've got your ringer's rest and then also uh, the rouseabout rooms, which are more so your motel-style rooms. And they're just in a little different section, so it's further away from all the action, so it's a bit quieter. And then just, just across from the rouseabout rooms, we have our ensuited site. So we've got a lot of families that utilise them during the school holidays and then also your caravanners and camper trailer people. So we've got six of those. Um, great little spot down there as well. And then we also have your camping sites. So we've got about 20 of those available, can fit up to six on each. And then we've got um, nine powered camping sites. And then we move into the van side of things. We've got uh, 16 powered and watered van sites plus seven self-contained sites, which have been uh, recently added this year. Now, as if that isn't enough, <laughs> I believe that you also do food there. You do a bit of catering. Can you, can you tell us about that? We are, we are, as I said, six hours out. So um, I think it's one of those things that if we didn't have food, we might have some hungry guests. <laughs> so um, we have a, a lovely bistro which overlooks the infinity pool and the dam. And it's a quite spectacular um, place to sit down in the morning and the afternoon and watch that sunrise and that sunset across the dam and watch the tops of the trees catch fire. So we do breakfast, lunch and dinner. And then we've also got a snack menu that runs. We do specials every day. We've got your freshly baked goods, so your scones, slices cakes um, we also do your espresso coffees but then we also have your, your free tea and coffee station there for the people that are might just be coming in for the day tour or um staying and just you know want their their simple coffee before they go to bed but alternatively we do have that espresso machine there as well you know you've made me hungry now telling me all about the scones yeah i might have to go get some after this as well <laughs> <laughs> now look you also can do uh, corporate events and weddings there, I believe. That is correct. So with uh, corporate events and weddings, people usually book the whole resort out. Got a wedding happening uh, next year as well, uh, towards the start of the season. Well, listen, after hearing all about Cobble Gorge, I think I need to uh, 
go check Bedari and book myself in. It sounds like a fabulous place. Just before we go, I've heard that there's a new thing coming to Cobble Gorge later this year. It's a, called a glass bridge. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Seems like the secret's out, yes. We're, we're pretty excited here. Um, we've been watching it all come together and it's been pretty amazing to see it all, I guess, get assembled uh, over the last couple of weeks. Just had a, an amazing glass bridge uh, be put in and we're just slowly finishing off the rest of the walk. So the glass bridge actually connects both sides of the sandstone above the gorge. So now uh, guests will be able to go on that walking element of the tour and they'll be able to actually walk across the top of the gorge across across a fully glass uh, walkway with um, glass sides as well. So there's no, no, I guess, obstruction to be able to see the entire gorge. So we're pretty excited about that. And it also opens up one side of the sandstone that the general public have never seen before. So it's going to give that walk just a whole new breath of life. So you're saying it's a glass bridge. Does that mean that the floor is glass as well? 100%. So um, when you're standing there, you're looking straight down at the water beneath you and catching, you know, the sides of the sandstone. And it's just, it's almost like you're hovering uh, in, in, the, in the middle of the gorge right at the top. It's, it's quite a surreal experience. I reckon that's the closest I'll ever get to walking on water. I think so. Uh, it's definitely walking on air. <laughs> that sounds sensational. Well, I think we need to get you back on the podcast when the bridge gets close to being opening so we can let people know about it. What do you think? I think we can work that out. That sounds great. Hudson, I want to thank you for your time. Cobble Gorge certainly sounds like the place to go. Everyone, hit the road to Cobble Gorge. This cook-up segment is brought to you by our episode sponsor, Alan Rush from Thermal Cookware who are providing the prize for our very first competition, a Shuttle Chef package valued at $394, including delivery. Stay listening for details on how to enter shortly. Hi there, Alan. Have you got another great recipe for us today? I do. I've got a simple one here that I use all the time on the road. I like to make a damper. Um, one of the things I do find, the further out you're going, especially if we're doing a lot of free camping, it's very hard to get hold of decent bread. And a lot of the time, the bread is, is uh, frozen white bread. So you can keep bread and take it with you to the next destination and the next one, but it takes up a lot of room in the fridge. Um, and if you've got it just sitting in your caravan, it tends to go stale fairly quickly on you. So I often make a damper up. Um, and I make it a damper. I can make it savory or I can make it a sweet damper or just a plain damper. Now, one of the things I do do with my damper is that I buy from Woolworths or Coles the non-alcoholic beer. Now, the reason I do that, it's a special reason for it. I'm not going to drink it. There's no value in it. It tastes like beer. It has yeast in it. Um, It will do what I want it to do. In other words, it'll rise my bread for me. And I'm never going to be concerned, should I be drinking it rather than making a loaf of bread with it? So I buy that one. And, of course, you're not paying tax on it. So you're paying about a dollar a bottle instead of paying four or five or six dollars. And I must admit, the dilemma is, do I drink this bottle of Corona or do I put it into the beer? It always is a dilemma. But if it's my non-alcoholic beer, then there's no dilemma about it whatsoever at all. (laughs) Now, what I normally do is I will make up a number of mixes before I leave a destination somewhere. I might make up half a dozen um, and I'll put all my mixture into a Ziploc bag 
and then roll the bag, you know, squeeze the air up, roll the bag up, and I just keep it in a container. So when I'm ready to make a loaf of bread, I've already got the mixture all made up, and it's very, very simple. And whether I'm making a savoury or a fruit loaf or a plain loaf, it's the same mixture. All I'm going to do is either add my extras to it. So what I would do in a mixture like that for a, uh, for a, a loaf of bread, which is in, in the shuttle chef, you can do a half loaf of bread or basically the size of a half loaf of bread. So I will do about two and a half cups of self-raising flour and a good pinch of salt. Now, that's basically all I use for my mixture. Now, some people like to put a bit of milk powder into it, uh, and you can. You'll play around with the mixtures as much as you like. But I'm very traditional, if you like. I have made dampers in camp ovens um, and in ovens for many, many years, and I find this is the simplest recipe. So when I'm ready to make a loaf of bread, I'll take a bowl, take my uh, Ziploc bag, open it up and pour the contents into the bowl, puddle it round until I've got a bit of a hole in the middle of it. And now I'm going to take my non-alcoholic beer and pour half of it into that hole in the middle. Now, the thing with damper is you don't want to work the ingredients too much. Otherwise, it becomes a bit gooey on you. So you're just going to keep folding the outside into the puddle in the middle. Fold it round, fold it round, fold it round, and it'll soak up all of that liquid. And then you may have to add a little bit more liquid to it, a little bit more beer to it to make sure it is a dry uh, mixture rather than a sloppy mixture. Now, then I take my container, uh, spray it with oil, put a bit of baking paper into the bottom of it, and then I'm just going to pour that mixture out of the bowl into that container and move it around a little bit with a spoon to make sure it's leveled all out. Lid goes on, and then that container is a steam pudding tin. And I will lower that steam pudding tin down into the saucepan, the Shuttle Chef saucepan, and make sure the water level is about half to two-thirds the way up the side of the, the container. You're using boiling water as the heat source in this case, so you're going to simmer that on the stove long enough to get your ingredients hot. And in the case of a damper like that, it's about 30, 30 minutes uh, and I'm not too particular about it. If it goes to 35, it doesn't really worry me too much. I do find if I go 35 or longer, my bread becomes much browner. But if I go 25 to 30 minutes, it's much whiter. So it must, the, the beer in there must be uh, either caramelizing or doing something, but it's, it's darkening the breads in there. So it's going to simmer on the stove for that 30-odd minutes, and then it goes into the outer, into the shuttle chef, and I can close the lid down. Now, I will do this at night before I go to bed because the one thing about a, a damper, it's not a meat, so it will stop cooking all by itself. It's a carbohydrate, so it'll stop cooking all by itself in about three hours' time. So I, don't, I can take it out if I like, or I can leave it all night long and take it out as a warm loaf of bread in the morning, but it will have stopped cooking as that temperature drops away. So I'm never going to dry it out or overcook it or end up with you know, a, um, a bit of a mess. So it's very easy to do. And if I was going to do a savoury, as I'm mixing it all together, I'd put some shaved parmesan into it. I could put some sun-dried tomatoes into it. Um, I could even put a bit of chilli into it if I wanted to, depending on how you like it. If I was going to do a fruit one, of course, I could put some sultanas, some uh, walnuts, uh, a, a couple of ripe bananas, anything you like that you feel to go into it. The bread mix is the same. The ingredients you put into it just makes it either a savoury, a plain, or a sweet bread. Excellent. Now, I was thinking when you were talking about savoury and, and some of the ingredients you mentioned, you, you didn't mention two that I like, and I thought I'd throw throw them at you to see what you think. 
some bit of garlic and a bit of pesto. Oh, no, look, excellent. No, no reason at all not to do anything like that. You can make a really nice bread uh, with a, a basil pesto through it um, and certainly with some garlic in your pesto. That'll really give you something to soak up that casserole we talked about before. If you've got a nice savoury bread like that, then yes, you can soak up your casserole. Thanks, Alan. This and other great recipes are available on the Thermal Cookware website. That's thermalcookware.com. And would you like to be the lucky winner of our Shuttle Chef? Try out that recipe and many others. Be listing for details on how to enter later in this episode. Next up, we talk to Cam from Advantage Caravan Repairs. Well, welcome back, Cam. Thanks, Shane. Good to be back. I thought we'd have a bit of a chat about the toolkit or bits and pieces that we take with us when we're on the road travelling with our van. No worries, mate. Sounds like uh, sounds like a plan. So obviously we need a jack. Yeah, definitely, definitely. You would you would no doubt suspect that you would have a jack and a wheel brace coming with your van, but um, make sure they're uh, in good nick and workable. You don't want to be stuck out in the middle of the road with and then find out that it's seized. Now wheel chocks, wheel chocks I think are important. What what's your thoughts on wheel chocks? Uh, yes, they're good to have, mate. They're fairly overlooked, actually. A lot of lot of uh, caravanners and campers just don't don't take them with them because they just don't think about it. Nine times out of ten, when when you need to change a flat tire, it's it's not going to be in the perfect level spot. You need to be able to secure the van so it's not going to slip or slide or fall off the jack. Most important thing, if you're going to climb underneath, you need to to secure it. Hey, it's not going to move forward or backwards. Okay, so safety triangles. Now, I'm an avid fan of safety triangles. Do, do you consider safety triangles a, an important part of the kit? Oh, definitely, Shane, definitely. There are so many road accidents nowadays that you just need to let oncoming traffic know that there's something coming up and just, just seeing a van on the side of the road doesn't let approaching traffic realise that there's something wrong with it and that there's possibly a person working around it. But if you've got a safety triangle there, it's fairly clear that something's going on. As we said, it doesn't always happen at the the most opportune time or place, so it's we're possibly going to have to do something occasionally in the dark. Oh, exactly, mate. Definitely going to need to be carrying a torch with you. That's a, a, a definite for your safety. Any sort of kit that you're taking away with you, you should have a torch. I like the creature comforts and having to lie down on the side of the road and do some work on the van because I've got to change the tyre or, or fix something that's come adrift. What would you suggest as far as trying to make it a bit more comfortable and cleaner for the person doing all the work? Oh, look, mate, I just chuck in an old blanket. Most of us have got, got a blanket that's been kicking around for, for eons. Keep an old blanket in there and... Uh, Whenever you're in a bit of dirt or whatever, just lay that down. It makes much nicer, much easier. It also helps if you have any parts you need to put down as well that doesn't get lost or dirty or any of that sort of stuff. Now, as far as actual tools, what sort of tools are you thinking? I'm thinking, obviously, we'd need to have a few uh, spanners, both open-ended spanners across 
some various sizes uh, and perhaps a couple of adjustable shifting spanners. Is, is there anything else you would suggest we carry in our kit? Yeah, it, it just just as a basic toolkit, as well as your spanners, um, if you've got the room once again, uh, socket set, definitely I'd be um, taking a hammer, put a hammer in the kit, probably screwdrivers. With between the spanners and the screwdrivers, you pretty well cover all fixing items on your van, so that's very good. Duct tape. Duct tape would be the number one thing to put in there. You can fix anything with duct tape. <laughs> oh, good old hundred a mile an hour tape. I mean, they even use it in the supercars, don't they? That's it, that's it. And while we're on the invaluable items, WD-40. Yeah, because that can help sometimes when you get uh, a nut or a screw that's a, being a bit difficult to to budge. You can give it a bit of a squirt with WD-40 or, or similar sort of product, help you uh, loosen it and, and get it undone. Oh, exactly, mate. And uh, all sorts of other things, your, your, your jockey wheel, your, any any sorts of industrial, metal type turning gear, then, yeah, works a treat. Now, I have seen that there's, like, as well as being, like, WD-40 spray, which is a bit like a sometimes the silicon sprays that you can get as well. do have to be a little careful with the, the various products. Both WD-40 and silicon spray are different in the way they grease things. So you do have to be careful on certain applications. I would imagine that you wouldn't want to be using a silicon spray anywhere near any sort of electrical contacts or that sort of thing, would you? No, exactly. Exactly. But that's, and, uh, that's what WD-40 is best for, isn't it? Yes, exactly. The uh, the other thing that I would, which is a, a bit of a, a downer to talk about, but I would definitely put a silicon gun and a tube of clear silicon in your kit. We don't want to get leaks when we're away, but just in case we do, it's good to have the ability to be able to fix them and seal them back up just in case one of your, say, your, one of your hatches on the roof gets hit by a branch and cracks, then you just got the ability to seal that up so you, you can get back home without too much damage getting, water damage getting you. I would probably be looking at a clear silicon firstly, because then it covers no matter what colour, it's not going to look completely stupid. But I would try and go perhaps for one of the brands that you, you can apply whilst wet. Yep, um, okay. Because that, I think, is going to be one of your, your main dramas if you're stuck in the middle of a rainstorm and a, a hatch starts leaking. It's going to be hard to dry it off before you can actually seal it. So that, that would be my only tip, would be that you get a, a, a water, water applicable one. All right. Now, next time we chat, I think we should talk about buying a second-hand van. Yeah, it sounds like a great idea, Shane. Because there's a lot to think about and look for when you're buying a second-hand van, isn't there? That's right, mate. Plenty, plenty of things that uh, you need to keep your eye on, so uh, I think that would be a great idea just to, to let the listeners in on a few tips. All right. Sounds like a plan to me. Well, thanks for your time. Talk to you again soon. Bye for now. No, Shane. See ya. Now it's competition time. 
Do you want to win a thermal cookware shuttle chef that can cook that recipe that Alan told us about earlier and many more delicious meals saving you time and money? Here's all you have to do. Go to the competition tab on the Adventures on the Road website, which is adventuresontheroad.com.au. Subscribe to our soon-to-be-launched newsletter and tell us the fanciest dish in the strangest location that you would cook if you won. The most realistic and creative entry will be judged the winner by Alan and myself. This competition is open from now until midnight the 27th of September 2019. And the winner will be notified via email within two days and also be announced on the podcast on the 1st of October. So get yourself into the draw to win this Shuttle Chef from Thermal Cookware. Good luck everyone. Visit our website for terms and conditions. Well, it's that time again, and we are out of time. As always, thanks to our show partners on the Road magazine, our prize contributor, Thermal Cookware, and of course you for continuing to support us. So subscribe, tell your friends, or if you have a suggestion of what you would like us to cover, get to our website or our Facebook page and let us know. I'm Shane. Thanks for listening, and have a safe journey.